0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Koala Cove. My name's Kate Hammond. I'm a fertility counsellor and hypnotherapist. Thank you so much for press and play today. Today, we are going to be chatting through grief and specifically the loss we experience through miscarriage before chatting through two common grief models. So let's get into it. So we, as a general collective need to get better at grief. We do. And especially when it comes to miscarriage, it's, it's a very different grief response. It's a very complex one. And it tends to get very different responses from people, from our loved ones, as opposed to other forms of grief. What I hear a lot of with miscarriage is that it's, it's common for the mother to develop a deeper sense of sorrow as time passes. Because as more time passes, you, you tend to realize just how permanent that loss is and the realization that you have to go through each of those milestones with this sense of, of wonder, the birthdays, the, the first steps, the graduations, wondering as to what your child would have been like at that milestone and that can be all-consuming, that can consume you. And in addition to this stress, um, the stress that this all-consuming wonder comes with is the stress that can develop between you and your partner. And what we typically tend to forget when we're in the the throes of grief is that everybody handles grief differently in a completely different way. So men typically are, are more solution-oriented So their feelings of grief lead them more so towards a path of wanting to fix things. They want to fix the problem. They want to fix it and make it all better. And that is generally completely different to the common way in which most women experience grief, whereby we want to sit in it. We want to sit in it, acknowledge it, and feel it. And this difference, if it's not understood and acknowledged, can... Just be a real challenge to couples when they've experienced miscarriage. Because what can happen is that, say for example, me as a woman might think about my respective partner or they they're not crying, they're just going around their daily life, um, and we might think, oh, they're not even sad. How can they be so dismissive? How can they be so unbothered? Because we have that idea that grief, and, I, and when I say we, I mean more so than women typically, I, I mean more so as um, as a general community, as a collective. We have this idea that grief is being sad and being crying. And so if you're not showing those emotions or if, if you're not feeling or you're showing anything at all, maybe if you're numb, then we have a tendency to think, obviously, that there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the way that you're grieving. But the thing to remember here is, is that anything somebody feels inside when it comes to grief and loss is 100% correct. What we feel is right for us. So it's a different grief response. And it doesn't mean that it's a lesser way of grieving. And that is so, so important to understand. Grief happens to all of us in some way, shape or form, but all of us do it differently. We all experience it differently. And yes, there's been, you know, there's various grief models and frameworks that describe the different stages of grief and their proposed timelines, but we may or may not fit around that. And we have to give each other permission around that and create a safe environment for ourselves and for each other to grieve without having that expectation around what someone else's grief journey should look like because it's very, very different for all of us. I think we have this idea that when, when something hurts, it means that there's something wrong with you. Grief is, is the experience that we all have Anytime we lose something, something that we love, and it's part of being alive, it's part of being human. Okay, so before we go on, if you can hear a little chirping, (laughs) like a little tweet-tweet in the background... There's um some magpies that have just been born outside. So they're right outside my window, the nest. And they're very cute, but they are very annoying. So I'm sorry if you can hear that, but trying to edit that out would be a nightmare. <laughs> so we're just going to have to deal with it for this episode. <laughs> okay, so let's chat about the social aspect of this, of grief. And what can typically happen when you're experiencing grief through miscarriage because this is what can be one of the most triggering and difficult aspects to deal with. Miscarriage is difficult for people and when I say people I mean friends, family, acquaintances. It's it's very difficult for all people to be comfortable around or confident in knowing how to support you if you're going through this. Not many people Even if they are close friends and family, feel confident in their belief that they know how to support you when you are going through this journey. And I've heard many people, uh, people who are close with the bereaved, say things like, Oh, I don't want to make them even more sad than what they are. Um, You know, I don't want to remind them of their baby uh, or ask them how, how it is that they're going, because I don't want them to be reminded of how sad they are. I hear that a lot. And what I think and sometimes tell people when I hear that is that it's not as though that that couple or that person who has experienced this loss is going to have, you know, completely forgotten that they've experienced this or that they're going through this. You know, that question is not going to suddenly remind them. They're most likely thinking about this the majority of the time. So you're not going to, to suddenly remind them of their grief by asking about it and and you aren't going to make them sadder. On the contrary, from my experience, by asking people about their baby or how they're coping, there's this feeling of, of like, oh wow, my baby is being remembered by somebody else. It's such a simple act, but people underestimate just how much of a support that can be to that person. And people don't even realize it can validate their grief. And let's talk about validation quickly. So the, generally the problem is, is that we're, we're culturally conditioned to instantly want to cheer people up when they're sad. We have this sense of wanting to fix it. We have to fix their sadness because that's what we do when we care about people. You know we we try to fix their sadness and this can sometimes come through in phrases such as um albeit very very unhelpful phrases but phrases such as you know oh you can always try again or an even worse one you know better it happened now better it happens now than later and when people say things like this Nine times out of ten, it's coming from a place of love. People are not intentionally, you know, malicious. They're they're wanting to support you and they're wanting to help you by doing what they know how, which is trying to cheer you up, trying to be solution focused and trying to logistically fix the problem. But for those who are grieving, it doesn't come across like that. it completely invalidates their grief it says generally oh your baby wasn't important you can always try for another as though as though that baby was replaceable so although it it often comes from a place of love what it actually does is is silence that person who is grieving it silences the person that we care about that we are wanting to try and and fix fix their sadness Our job as a support person isn't to make somebody feel happy or better, it's it's to make them feel heard and validate their feelings and validate their grief. So let's move on to talking about two different models, two different models of grief. Let's chat about continuing bonds and the dual process model. So continuing bonds is an, it's an idea. It's an idea that asks the question, how can we carry that person with us, that baby with us? How can we continue that relationship in a healthy way despite them not being physically with us? So it, it steps away from looking at grief as something needed to be you know recovered from or letting go of that person or that baby who's no longer with us. Instead, it asks the question, what are some healthy ways we can acknowledge our grief without it being all-consuming? How can we continue that relationship in a healthy way? What are the bonds we can use for continuing that relationship? So it acknowledges that grief is ongoing And there's space for us to remain connected with the baby um, that has been lost. So we don't detach from them or leave them behind, but we we carry them with us throughout our lives. So how can we do this? A couple of examples people use for this model include uh, writing a letter. So writing a letter is one of the main ones. Um, writing a letter to either uh, your baby, your baby who has who was lost, or writing a letter to yourself, expressing everything um, that is inside that you want to share. It's a safe space uh, for you to allow your emotions to come out without any fear of judgment or, you know, opinions or wondering, you know, whether they're making people feel uncomfortable worrying about other people. Writing a letter to your baby is one way of continuing that relationship. It's a healthy expression of remembering that loss and also keeping them with you. And many people choose to do this at times when they know it will be a struggle. Things like due dates, uh, birthdays, anniversaries. It's a healthy way to channel all those emotions, that sadness, anger, frustration, and, and by planning to do this at the times so you anticipate those feelings to be consuming um, at those special dates when you know it will be difficult, you're planning a way in helping yourself cope with that. So, you know, write a letter, write a letter to your baby or yourself and, and do this whenever you feel the need to. You know, maybe spontaneous, it, it could be weekly, it could be monthly, it could be on those milestone dates. You can keep it, you can keep the letter um, or you could you know throw it away. I know people who have tied the letter to a balloon and let it go so it becomes more like a, a ceremony a ceremony. And another example of how to do this is also having a chat. Having a chat with your baby just simply having a conversation. Allowing those thoughts and feelings and emotions to come out in a healthy way, either regularly, uh, you know, maybe once every week or every couple of weeks, or again, on on dates you anticipate might be difficult. Uh, Another way is also to create a box of memories, create a box of memories for your baby. You know, some objects, uh, things that are meaningful to you, Uh, that you could look back and reflect on as a means of continuation continuing that relationship instead of just trying to relinquish it and forget it I'm sorry about that I had a call come through because I record on my phone and um, it really throws me off track when people ring me (laughs) while I'm recording and then they send me a text later like I tried to call you and I'm like I know I I watched it ring (laughs) Okay, so the next one is the, uh, the next framework rather, is the dual process model of grief. You might hear this called the oscillation um model. And this is a model which you most likely will have experienced or known someone who has experienced this. So the dual process model, basically in a nutshell, states that we often move very sporadically and very often between being loss-oriented, uh, where you're focused on, on the grief, you experience it more profoundly, it consumes you more, and what's called restoration or, orientation. So we move between being loss-oriented and restoration-oriented. And restoration-oriented um, is the different end of the spectrum, where you're you're making moves in trying to restore balance and harmony and come to terms with the loss. So you're basically being more productive, you're being more proactive in trying to return to that normal balance, that normal balance before loss. So this this idea, this model rather, begins with the acceptance of the loss and acknowledging the reality of it and this only happens once the the disbelief and the anger have subsided. And so once you've come to terms with the permanence of this loss, we then move into this back and forth motion between the loss-oriented uh, the loss orientation rather and the restoration orientation. So we flit between the two, moving from feeling, you know, really overwhelmingly sad and all consumed over the loss wanting to to sit in it and, and spend time wallowing before moving into a more restorative state, you know, making steps to establish some sort of routine of normalcy, of, of life before loss. So this model states that we move between the two all the time. We go back and forth before coming to the final step of what's called establishing a continuing bond. And if you're not aware of this, of, you know, these typical processes that that many people move through, it can be really frustrating for, not only for yourself, who's going through it, but also for other people, because it's the uncertainty around it. You know, you think you're, you think you're progressing, you're coming to terms with it, you're establishing a sense of normalcy, you're starting to feel, you know, semi-human, and you think you're getting, you know, quote unquote better before you revert back to being loss oriented. And before you know it, you're spending days, weeks withdrawing from every everything and everyone. And so if you're if you're not aware of this model and the fact that this is a completely natural process to move through, it can make you feel like you know what's what's wrong with me why am i doing this why am i up and down all the time and that alone can be overwhelming so it's it's very helpful to just even be aware of this model and also for your closest ones to be aware of as well so that they can understand that dealing with grief is not a linear process as we are led to believe it is in no way a linear process and there's no specific timeline that we move through. Everything that we do is right for us in that current moment. Thank you so much for taking the time to press play today. I you know I appreciate every single one of you that spends your time with me. And if you think this episode might help someone, please please let them know about it. And if you have any, um, any comments, just let me know below. I'm always hope, open to hearing any suggestions or what you found interesting or what you'd like to hear more of. Uh, so please let me know and I hope you have a wonderful day.